This is The Big We, a podcast about pop culture, joy, and liberation. It's our last episode of the season. It is, but we still got this. It was a wonderful time. I feel like we've grown a lot. We've we've made shifts and changes. uh, But one thing that stayed the same, Mm -hmm. big laughs, big joy, (laughs) big love, big change, the big Big we. I had had to rock our big we hoodie for the final episode. Uh, the 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 season finale, not the series finale. That, see, you just want to jab all episode, don't you? You're, it's okay. We're gonna get to Game of Thrones. But we don't have to keep <laughs> no pun intended needling the situation, Calvin. Ooh, nice. You like see what I did there? You I see, see what, what you did. did. Mm-hmm. I see what you did. Yep, yep. Anyway, hi everybody. It's Anasa. I'm your cultural strategist, writer, producer. I'm talking too much because I'm so upset about Game of Thrones. Let me start that over, everybody. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> Anasa, lover of Game of Thrones, cultural strategist, writer, producer, founder, and CEO of Culture Shift Creative, and most important, especially today, because I will not be bossed around by Calvin, a July Leo. Oh, I can't go on, Calvin. Introduce yourself. Well, if you're tuning in to the last season episode, like I did yesterday for Game of Thrones, let me introduce myself. <laughs> I am Calvin Mitchell Williams the Third. You can also call me Calvin C Dub Uthman, which is an interesting story. If you want to ask me about it, you can. Um, I'm an Afrofuturist for Liberation, co-founder of the Wakanda Dream Lab, and I'm Moonlight as a for the culture nerd who likes more sci-fi than fantasy, as turns out. But I love my way through the darkness into the light through memes, mixtapes, and Marvel comics. And Oakland is where I call home. What up, Uh y'all? This is the big we. Uh (laughs) I'm going to go with the flow because I'm a Pisces. I feel like we're going to be having to reevaluate our friendship by the end of this episode, but let's just get get it. Hey, I I know good and well I am not the only one that has feelings and questions and thoughts. Of course. And memes about okay. what had All happened yesterday. Yep, yep. Right. We're gonna get into it. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll save that for. It. We'll save that for when we get. We need there. to do. We need to do some like pleasantries first, so we can reestablish our friendship before <laughs> we have to get into. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. You need to tell me. Tell me how you are, so I remember how much I love you before we do this. All right. Well. You know how last week I threw a, a curveball about telling how you know we we're doing uh, yeah, our casual check in, and then I week. found out that I'm gonna be you know we're gonna have we we're expecting we we're expecting maybe we're having well, a baby. So I, in, in the spirit of giving a twist at the beginning of the program, <laughs> I have another announcement. What? Can you see it can, on the screen? I cannot see that. What oh, okay. It says, "Welcome to the African ancestry family." <laughs> you got your results back. I got the you results. Got your results back. The same, the same week in which yeah, I, I find out uh, other things uh, and, and announce other things. Uh, the, the 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 full circles are, are coming together, um, yes. and I promise I didn't try to time this in, in relationship to this. Just how it happened. Um, so your, here your I DNA am. Is in the flow, past, present, and future. Let hey, go. you know the, the what does Morbius it say? You're, you're just so you're taking too long. What does it say? Here I am on the porch on Friday, and I'm mm-hmm. sitting here waiting for the mail to come in. I'm working from the porch, like the front porch, like <laughs> like I'm on like the Ms. stoop Seeley. in Brooklyn, right? Hey, listen, I'm, I'm sitting there <laughs> just ready. Here comes the mail. He hands me the package. I open it up. Certificate of Ancestry, African Ancestry. 
hereby certifies that Calvin Mitchell Williams III shares paternal genetic ancestry with the Yoruba people living in Nigeria. Wow. And the sequence from the paternal side, check this out. It was a sequence similarity score of 100%. Whoa. Right? So, really? Yeah, from, from the paternal side. So, you know, obviously I had to look up to see what it meant and all the little caveats about what you mean by 100% when really it should be 99.9 degrees certain. Anyways, <laughs> all of the statistical analysis and, and all of that aside, what it was saying is that the genetic sequencing from others who have taken this and... Uh, analyzing the Y chromosome of the DNA, mm-hmm. the allele sequence, and et cetera, et cetera, the gen- genetic markers match the ones that are seen most most um, seen in uh, the Yoruba peoples of Nigeria. Wow. So that is that is so exciting. Yeah, it it brought some some closure and like weight. It was like, yo, this opens up a whole new pathway. Mm. I, I and and just opening that up. The I actually recorded myself, so I'll send that to you all. Like <laughs> the, the recorded, my, and you can see just like the 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 wonder in my eyes. I just felt like that. Um, it, it felt like a kid opening a birthday present mm-hmm. for the first time. That that joy of. There, the, there's some answers. There'll be more questions. And I, when I opened it up, it felt like getting, I, I don't want to be too uh, light or lightweight with the metaphor, mm-hmm. but I felt like I got a new game. And I'm like, oh, mm. I got to search and find it and, and tinker with it and, and look at this. And when I think of the bookends of in chapters of my story, it, it gives me a, a a bigger we and a longer now, as it said, mm. that that it, that the, the bookends feel a little bit more contextualize across time and across uh, geography where there are some clear anchors that I'm now able to explore and I'll be able to explore it with, you know, with, with another generation coming in. Yeah, so your whole baby. Uh, and we could share these stories and this is showing up in how we're choosing names. Oh. So we're looking at names that also have a, a Yoruba um, mm-hmm. connection. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. More to come on that. I so like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. This is a whole saga. All this <laughs> DNA. Right. The various houses and, and whatnot. <laughs> um, yeah, it's powerful. It's powerful. It and, and there are times that I'm able to lean into it and times where I've got to be like, yo, mm. let me let me take a step back right quick. Mm. So, uh, But as I said, this is the year of return. This is the year where if any other year we're called to do so, leaning in. So inviting others to hold me through that, inviting myself um, to be an offering of that support for others who are leaning into that story. I know a few others who've shared theirs, uh, and, and including you, Anasa. I know that you ordered ordered your African ancestry. So, I, I mean, this I year of return, let's lean into it together. I, I'm ready. I did. I'm really excited to get it back, too. Really excited. Just curious. I remember the first time I went to Africa, and I didn't even, I didn't even go to West Africa. I just went to South Africa. And just being... There, just when the plane touched down, it just felt like something opened up mm. in me that I can't even explain. And you know, when you um, spend your life wondering, honestly, wondering like where you're from, and we talk about culture so much, and and we spend a lot of time recreating and reimagining what culture looks like for us because we're not connected to our language or our practices and all those things, and the advent of technology that allows us to say like oh your people are from this tribe right here is actually really exciting for me 
because I am I'm excited to be able to open up my envelope when it comes back and, and be able to really study and connect and visit with the things that, that my ancestors did. It's hmm. actually really really exciting and I'm, I'm excited for you i've actually been to nigeria i'll tell you everything i know when i was in nigeria i almost got into a fight but we can talk about that later oh, what and not almost in a fight i know you know i don't fight i don't fight but i was literally i was literally walking around the compound looking for this man so i could whoop his tail oh but i didn't find him so i didn't fight so that's good Mm-hmm. I oh, please I'm believe still, I'm gonna ask. I'm still I'm looking for you, sir. <laughs> I'm still looking for you. <laughs> Don't let me catch you outside. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I won't, I won't hold that Nigerian against you, Calvin. I won't do it. <laughs> you get to be your own. <laughs> oh my goodness, you're Nigerian. hilarious. <laughs> oh mercy, that's good. But, yo, so how are you mm-hmm. doing? How am I? You know, I just spent I just spent three days in Aspen, so I'm just happy to be three thousand fewer feet <laughs> from the sky. Honestly, <laughs> uh, altitude is real, everybody. I just want you to know. Um, I was at an environmental conference called Earth's Call, and it was interesting because it was beautiful in one way. It was really founded by this man who was a cellist, and he had this vision of creating this uh, music. Uh, dedicated to the earth and there was this whole big concert with him and Patti LaBelle was there, Lady Smith Black Mombaza was there, uh, Anthony Hamilton was there, um, Mickey Hart who used to be the drummer for The oh, Grateful yeah. Dead but now he's like a like a sacred, his music is so amazing. <laughs> so there was like all these amazing musicians in this concert and then they built this two days worth of conversation around this around this music dedicated to the earth. And in one way, it was really um, beautiful. I met a lot of really wonderful people that I was so happy to connect to. And in another way, it was kind of frustrating. I, I'm, hmm. I need to be honest about that because, you know, there's a, a, a I guess a couple of weeks ago, I guess it was now, the, that um, new report came out that said that there were a million species of animals that were um, bound to be extinct like it was like kind of a no like no turning back like these million million a million species of animals are going to be extinct wow. and like the new numbers about how much time we have you know the polarized caps and the carbon drawdown and all the things that we need to be thinking about and so the conference was really um they were really looking to try to find solutions. A lot of times you go to conferences and they're just a bunch of whole conversations and nothing ever happens, but they really designed this this conversations to be able to come up with solutions. But it was actually the focus on solutions that was getting on my nerves because Hmm. there was a lot of tactical conversation going on, but there was no conversation about like, how did we get here and how did we undo the thing that got us here in the first place? Because it wasn't the, tactics that got us here it's like yes we deforested yes we poisoned the soil yes we polluted the water but like why did we do that why did we do that say that and uh, nobody one more time for the people in the back (laughs) and i'm like if we can we can talk about you know pollution and carbon and all that but unless we talk about the way of being that brought us to doing those things and like I don't know what the point of this conversation is because even though there was like 200 very brilliant, dedicated people in that room, we're actually talking about a planet worth of people 
who are behaving in ways um, that perpetuate the lie of separation and the illusion of control. And until and unless we address those things in ourselves as a human um, family, then I'm like, I don't care how many trees you plant. We gonna hmm. just cut some more down somewhere else. <laughs> and because oftentimes, and it was certainly true in this room, when you go to these meetings that, that are about the environment, it is mostly white in the room. And in this case, it was it was a lot of white folks who had means. And the real conversation I want to have with them is like the thing that had America commit genocide, steal land, steal people, and build an economy off of free labor is actually the same thing that has us disrespect and disregard the health of the earth. Right. And unless we deal with that fundamental thing that allows us to choose money and ourselves as individuals over the human family, then we're going to continue to poison people and disrespect them and steal things from them and, um, you know, and just not be right. And I, and I, I don't, I, I, I had a lot of those conversations and people were really receptive. I, I did a couple panels um, at the conference and um, I'm learning how just to say the thing I have to say when I go into those spaces, even if I don't think anybody else thinks them. And like more and more people are starting to open up to have those real conversations. But I don't, it shouldn't just be in one little room in one little part of the conference. It's like, when are we going to have the conference that's about the fact that human, that, that we, we're, we're not right. Hmm. <laughs> we're not right. And I told the people in the audience, I was like, when you look at the planet and what it is right now, like that is because of who we are and you have to stop pointing fingers. Like stop acting like, oh, the Republicans don't care about climate change. Well, who made your clothes, ma'am? Hmm. And where did you get those shoes from? <laughs> and and is your all is all your food locally sustainably sourced? And what about the fish you just ate? Like you, when are we going to stop pointing fingers at other people, and uh, really take responsibility for who we are and transform ourselves? So that's how I am. I'm I'm very um, I'm thinking about who I am. I'm thinking about who I am and how to be more in alignment with um, with who I want to be, and with who I'm asking other people to be. Um, in particular, you know, mm. so, you know, that's why the storytelling is so important. And we talked a lot about that, a lot about that, like how they asked me, <laughs> they asked me to be on a marketing panel. <laughs> that's so interesting. That's so weird, right? Because that's the only way you know how to talk about storytelling is by talking about marketing. You just cannot approach a complex problem with a simple solution. It just doesn't work. You can't talk about humanity and be like, well, let's have a marketing campaign. No, you can't do that. You have to really think about how to hmm. get in people's hearts and get in their souls and and help them to be able to have an honest conversation about who they are and who they want to become. And so I'm, I've been thinking a lot about that the last couple of days, just about who we're becoming and how how to be, how to have integrity and how to be honest about the places where we're out of integrity. Because I definitely drank a water out of a plastic bottle yesterday, and I shouldn't have done that. But, you mm. know, we do it every day. You know, th this kind of reminds me of an um, article that I saw through Sarah Eaglehart, um, mm -hmm. who posted this uh, UN report saying that indigenous sovereignty could save the planet. Uh, yes. It's particularly around how our people's ways of being and, and their, their life and their understanding of their relationship to people, to each other, to land. Um, yep. and, and of course, the way that the UN kind of 
placed it in in context. It's like knowledge, innovations, and practices, institution, and values <laughs> of indigenous peoples contributes to this. Uh, mm-hmm. conservation, but really just get, I mean, that's culture. That's really what they're talking. They're talking of about course. this particular cultural way, cultural way of being uh, contributes in a way that is not extractive in what we're seeing that has, um, oh, what, what was the, the term that they used for it? Uh, uh, the, the, the way in which built land environments have, have changed ecosystems and mm-hmm. the ripple effects that we've seen uh, following that, so uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's. Yo, I that... spent some time with an indigenous elder over the weekend who was at the conference. His mm-hmm. name was Earl, and he was so wonderful. And he was talking to me. He's a part of the Navajo tribe, and he was talking to me about, you know, some of the um, the when kids are born now into the tribes that have casino money. Like a kid is born, and by the time they're eighteen, they have a million dollars. And he was talking about how they are now dealing with the fact that, like, when the kid gets 18, now they want to move to Phoenix and buy a house or they're eating McDonald's or they're doing all the things that are, like, in alignment with with the status quo American culture. And the other hmm. side of what you're talking about is, like, this, perfa- this pervasive, potent action of this dominant culture that really interrupts and um, embeds itself in subcultures like indigenous sovereignty conversations were like, well, yes, that is true. And how do you even be able to do the cultural transfer transfer so that the young people are, are able to hold that conversation? Like once people like Sarah and Earl are in there, are, are become elders and then pass on, like who is holding that? Who is holding that? And it makes me think about your DNA test. Like, hmm. what does that mean for you? Like you have lived your whole life in this dominant culture and now you have a you have a like a tangible um, evidence connecting you to your own indigenous wisdom. And how are you gonna like you're having a whole baby? How are you like what does that yeah. what does that mean as you even have to learn it? Because as you know, you know, there are a whole lot of reasons why there are indigenous folks who are disconnected to their own culture and how do you learn relearn your culture and pass it on at the same time in the way that's transformative for you and your family and seven generations ahead of you. Yeah. And you know, just thinking about just in that question of how I think that power of stories. Right. Yes. Um, and you were actually there with, with a homie of mine who I talk about this I very sure often was. with Kevin Killer. Shout out to you, I Kevin sure Killer, was. if you're out there listening. I had so much fun hanging you know, out with Kevin. Uh, He's and, so awesome. Yeah. And, and we so we had a conversation about because I told him I was expecting my results. Uh, yeah. He was and he was with me when I was doing prayer and ceremony uh, mm. on my birthday. Um, and, and so that conversation between like in, in search of uh, the healing and joy and liberation and reparation and all these yeah. terms that we mean, like the, that, that reconnection and return to our full selves and authentic yes. selves, um, that that storyline that is uh, for for what it is for uh, folks who identify as black Americans and, um, and, and, and all those stories of, of how we are where we are, mm-hmm. uh, being so intricately connected to the the story, the indigenous stories of folks in this in these lands as well, um, and and how we've been exploring that amongst each other. And so I actually had a conversation about you know we've been talking about going to Ghana. Listen. <laughs> so I was like, we, I put it out there too. I was like, hey, maybe maybe we both should go as well. Like, and and I think that would be amazing. Yeah, the exploration yeah. of those stories. 
I know we talked about that a few episodes ago about how we wanted to go to Ghana, but like y'all need to know we are serious about this and we are busting our tails to try to figure out how to get there yeah. this summer. That very well could be all of season two. <laughs> actually met somebody at the conference who was like, I'll go with you guys and be your guide. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and before, I know we got to uh, transition into our, our what's popping in, in yes. the pop culture segment, but uh, yes. just just again, as a teaser for the conversation we're about to have and just to, as a tail end to this about how stories do impact the way that we, we connect. Um, I, I have to quote Tyrion. <laughs> <laughs> I never saw that I see the day, Calvin. I know, right? Because it's a celebration. Let's go. Let me hear it. What unites people? Armies, gold, flags, stories. Mm -hmm. There's nothing in the world more powerful than a good story. Nothing can stop it. No enemy can defeat it. And that was said right before Brand the Broken was chosen to the throne for the very reason of a story that unites and and shifts people. And there could be critiques about what and this and that and the third. But hearing that, I was like, he is approaching this from a cultural strategy position, not political, not this, not that, not all of these other political applications that folks are applying to it. I get it. I appreciate it. And I also think this part of what he's trying to say is what we should be listening to mm-hmm. as much. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because th- a good story, even if you're written out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, he was not in the Wikipedia entry. That's funny. <laughs> hey, he said a, a good story. Hey, a good hey, story. You know what? That sometimes not... means you have to get written out. <laughs> and being able to contribute to a good story, even if you're not yeah. there to like, you're part of the story, but you don't need to be a main character. I, I feel it. <sighs> I'm holding my thoughts. All right, yeah, let's get there. What else is going on before we get to the big, the big ticket? A finale about a finale. <laughs> what let's else is see, going what on? What else is going on? Yeah. What do I? What did I? Oh, there is this woman. She lives in Nashville. Her name is Rollinae. And she's one of the best singers I've heard in a long, long time. I met her. Mm. I met her. Actually, you know when I met her? When we did the video for um, for um, India's first single off the Worthy album. Um, that Magic. He's got that magic. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She came to that video shoot and I met her. And I had been hearing about her for literally like four years. I had been hearing about her because a mutual friend of ours knows her and has kept telling me, you got to, she's, and I'm like, because you know people tell say that all the time. My friend is the best singer. In, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like this woman, I can't even, like when she sat in the, at the, we sat in the back of the video shoot and she sang and I burst into tears. Like, her voice is ridiculous. And she was, like, dealing with, like, you know, the same thing that all artists do when you're gearing up. She was, like, having some trepidation and some, like, being unsure. And, you know, I did my best to support her. And I'm like, whatever you need. And then, like, six months later, I get a text, like, you got to go on your Instagram. Rollin' put out a song. And not only is it, like, the jam and the song I've heard in a while, and her her vocals are ridiculous, but then I found out that she produced the whole thing, engineered the whole thing, wrote the whole thing, played all the instruments, did all the backgrounds. Wait, and what? I'm like, what? 
who knew? So I want everybody to listen to this song. Her name was Rollin' A. Her Instagram is at Rollin' A the first. It's R-O-L-Y-N-N-E, at Rollin' A the first. And the song is called Next to Me. And it is jamming. So, you know, I believe in independent artists. I believe in people who, like, do their work to be able to express themselves in the most highest and beautiful way. And she did that. And I'm really, really proud of her. And um, I want you to listen to it. And then I want you to, like, figure out what that looks like for you. Like, what do you need to break through to be able to be your best self creatively? Because that is what it takes. And we have to, like, learn how to how to get through the muck and the mire and our fear to be able to, to shine. And, like, she did it. And I'm so so excited about it following right now thank you for <laughs> shit i'm like yo yeah yeah and she's just a wonderful woman too just you know it's nice when people do jamming work and then you're like and hey, you're nice too because sometimes that is not the case <laughs> mm, no comment okay. no questions <laughs> <laughs> yo thank you for sharing that i yes. you know what one thing I was able to come to this weekend, especially since I needed to clean my palate after watching a few things, um, <laughs> was I ended up watching See You yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, which I was kind of anticipating. I was a little bit, um, you know, to be honest, a little ambivalent because you know this story is uh, it, was dire- it was directed by Spike Lee and actually a new director, Stefan uh, Bristol, um, who uh, took this story about. Um, what if you could go back in time, right? And and that's you know that that's in the ether right now. We're talking about that in Endgame. Who would you go back and learn from, and what ancestry would you connect to? Mm-hmm. How would you restore? In this one, where I, I, instead of Afrofuturism, I would call this Afro surrealism. Um, but it was it's a very visceral story about gun violence, either from the state, from the police, mm. uh, or from community violence on the block. It's it's based uh, based in Flatbush, Brooklyn. These two brilliant young uh, black actors uh, who who just, uh, they won me over in the first 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> Eden Duncan Smith and Dante Crishlow, who play this this young young man and young woman who, who, who are like, what was it, uh, juniors in high school. They're in the STEM program out in the Bronx but then they they come up with this way to be able to create this this uh, temporal relocation system and device that brings them back a day and on, the the storyline I know right it's so nerdy it's so vibrant it's so fun it was like I felt like I was back in Brooklyn you know what I mean uh, in the summer and it was just there's something vibrant about the story it was engaging and then it gets very real about um, when she loses a brother um, mm. the, the main character CJ. Walker, yes. Wow, no <laughs> yes, way. Yes, there, yeah. there's oh, there's all types of like in your face mm-hmm. connections. Uh, mm-hmm. Her brother, uh, which is why I'm like a little cringing at this. Her brother, whose name is Calvin, Calvin oh. W. Yes, um, stop for real, for real. Um, was was shot by the police, and then she keeps trying to go back along with her friend mm. Sebastian to go back and save him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you know Calvin wow. Walker being born on. Um, on 9-11 and then mm. dying on July 4th. Like all, there's all of these mm. like things. 
not for nothing, there was also a cute shout out that Marty McFly, a.k.a. Michael J. Fox, was their teacher in the Bronx. No, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I am watching that this weekend. The story does kind of, I mean, I got emotional at uh, several parts, particularly in parts I didn't think I would be. But mm-hmm. the, the story about children who, um, you know, young adults who were looking for a way to disrupt something that felt so... Like, no matter what you do, this is what what it is. Mm. And it reminded me of the Twilight Zone episode under uh, Jordan Peele's new um, uh, take on the series. It's called Mm -hmm. Replay. Uh, And this is like the story of the magical camera where you could see into your future. And a similar storyline about a black mother seeing her son being lost to gun violence, uh, you know, again, from the police and then doing all these things to prevent that. And then still coming back to that conclusion It's just that it leaves you feeling a certain level of 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 wow there there's a certain helplessness and and kind of in itself that being the horror of the story Mm -hmm, but then mm -hmm. also the hope of the story around but we know and we can shift and change things so what will it take is it institutional is it personal is it interpersonal and and is it internal and all of those elements of our power and activating that power were put into play in this movie so i very much recommend seeing it see you yesterday and if anything else for the way that the vibrancy of the story the character the the characters drove this story and and the Mm. way that they acted it out was beautifully done uh the love between these two young people um seeing it on on screen and in a beautifully told way and not for nothing that Stefan who's one of the directors uh, along with being a um, mentee of Spike Lee is also a Morehouse graduate and I'm sure you heard about what happened at Morehouse this weekend I sure did hear what happened at Morehouse this weekend come on this man stood up there with his billions of dollars (laughs) and announced that he was going to pay off the student loans for the entire class of 2019. $40 million worth. Can you believe, after he had already given a million and a half dollars as a philanthropic gift to the college, and you go pay off $40 million worth of student loan debt. Yeah. Come on, free education for all. Let's go. That's right. Robert Robert F. Smith, who, who was able to coordinate that, not only from like leveraging his wealth, but wealth of others. Yeah. Um, and, and, it makes it makes that conversation around what the imagination around what reparations could look like. Yes, even that's right. broader because it that's wasn't right. like he wasn't from Morehouse, not of the community, and that mm-hmm. you know that whole thing. But even around like what does it mean to return within your own community um, right. and in return uh, your your wealth, your time, your talent, your presence, your relationship. Um, that that seems to be uh, something else I'm curious about, especially. Yeah. I was thinking this morning about that and just about what it must have felt like as a student in that class sitting in graduation, like the moment that he says that and what that feels like for you, like the joy and the disbelief and the like, I'm sure the whole room went bananas. I can only imagine. Oh, yeah. But then just thinking about like what it like what it means for you to be able to go into the beginning of your adult life and your career without having that kind of debt. Just thinking about economics and finance and like how the interplay of justice and economics and how so often so many folks don't they're not able to get ahead because of things like this. And not for nothing, like understanding and appreciating the privilege of being able to go, being able to go to Mohurst College in the first place. Yeah. 
like not not wanting to lose that part of the conversation, but like what it means for those men now to be able to go forth into their life and not have to have that conversation, not have to think about that, but to have a little bit more freedom as they make decisions about their career and how they manage their finances and all that. It's just really a really beautiful gift, and he like gets the Oprah Prize for 2019. Yeah, and and okay. just to even put uh, that that highlight to how burdensome this is for this this yeah. upcoming generation for and, yeah. and this is graduation week and I was enjoying all the pictures from kindergarten graduations to you know postgraduate degrees so shout out <laughs> to everybody who is graduating everyone who loved someone through their process of schooling and education who was holding it down everyone who was there to celebrate and um, enjoy that that milestone uh, you know shout outs to all all the grads and the fams of the grads um, and and just also just acknowledging that. Um, yeah, I'm looking this up. 44 million Americans owe 1.4 trillion dollars in yeah. student loans. Yeah. And when the best that we can hope for is things that are outside, because that's structural. That can be fixed. That's Absolutely. one of those things that we can Thanos away with I a finger snap. Article, I read an article last week about a woman who was in her 60s and she was still paying student loans. Oh wow! What is that about? What is that? What Get is out of that? Here. And what is it when a game show has to be created? <laughs> have you heard about this? I have heard about. Yes, that. it's on True TV. It's called Paid Off. The it. first time yeah. I saw it was last week. I didn't know how to feel about yeah. it until I saw the call to action afterwards yeah. and how it really is. Like talk about a cultural shift through gaming. It was That's this right. idea that we're going to call out all these things that are structural, but then give people an opportunity through this game to show, like, hey, I learned something. Why well, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, if you think about education being the number one path out of poverty and you can't access it because of your inability to access, you know, financial support. And then if you do, you spend your whole entire life paying it back, your whole entire life paying it back. We have to do better than that. Yeah. We have to do better than that. Oh, speaking of doing better, I have one more thing I want to tell you about because I read this book over the weekend, Calvin. Mm-hmm. It was so, so great. This book, have you heard of um, this chef called Kwame Unwachi? Have you heard his name before? Heard the name. He was on um, Top Chef. I think it was season 13. He was the one who got sent home because he made chicken and waffles. With that and waffles. is, yes, I remember that episode. <laughs> I stopped watching the show because of that. I saw that and thought that was genius. What? He like, I'm vegetarian and still was like, that chicken and waffles, <laughs> mini bite chicken and waffles? This is genius. Yeah, well, he got sent home, but... He um, is actually doing quite well because he just last week won a James Beard Award hey. for being a rising star chef of 2019. He's opened like four restaurants in the past few years. One that didn't work out, but his, he has a new restaurant called Kith and Kin. And then he has two, um, two restaurants that are called, I think they're called Philly Wing Fry. And they're like a high end, kind of like that fast casual, but they're like, Chicken wings, fries, and Philly. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is that Chef Kwame has written a book. And it's a it's like a retrospective on his life, which I thought was weird because he's like 29. I'm like, what in the hell wow. do you have to say at 29? But I read the book, and it is so good. It's hmm. so good. It's called um, Notes from a Young Black Chef. Hmm. And he really tells his life story like through the... Through the food, the, through the food history of his family, his father um, is also Nigerian, as is your family now. Kwame, <laughs> Kwame, Chef Kwame is your kin, hey. um, and, his, and his mother is Southern, like New Orleans, South Carolina, North Carolina, and you know all that goes with Southern cooking and Creole cooking. 
and he talks about like not only like the his journey through food through his family but also the relationship with his father the relationship with his mother the relationship being um a a black man in the culinary arts um his life as a hustler on the street in the bronx and like his whole story is so compelling and it's so interesting and it also like makes me think about just just like in science fiction and fantasy and film and TV and all these other places, like the culinary world is a place where black people are starting to shine, where they're they're being more courageous, they're being more bold, they have more space. And like shout out to um, Chef Eric, I think his name is Adipong, who was just on this past season of um, Top Chef, mm-hmm. and his he he made it to the finale, and his like dream meal that he made was a, a four course meal that told the story of the transatlantic slave trade. That's right. Yeah. And I'm like, come on, Chef Eric, I want to, I want to taste that. Um, he, he, um, he got put out, um, of the show after the first round. And so I literally to this day have no idea who won this season of Top Chef because I shut the TV off the second they put him out and I refused to watch the rest just because I felt like he needed to be able to, sh- to, to share that, share that story on the show. So I'm, I'm boycotting right now. And I know it's unreasonable. I get it. I know it's unreasonable. But that's what, that's what I'm doing because I wanted to taste the food. But he and his wife are doing things now in the city. He got married and had a baby and they have a new a new um, show, a new uh, business out called Pinch and Plate. And they're doing like inviting people to their space to feed them. And they've done like the transatlantic slave trade meal just last week, and I think at Tom Colicchio's craft restaurant in New York. So, like, there's so many wonderful things that are happening in the cooking world, too, in terms of culture and how we're showing up. But, like, that book, that Kwame Anwachi's book is so amazing. I really highly recommend it. And get the audio version because he reads it himself and he's so adorable. Which is the real truth is when he was on season 13, I had an unreasonable crush on him because he's, like, five years old, and I'm not. And I was like, this is inappropriate. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. I, I think that that's a great question to put out to um, to our big we fam. So uh, just thinking about this year of return, um, conversations mm-hmm. we've been having, the stories that could be told, um, and how how much story can can stick, like stick yes. it, stick in it, to the to your fingertips, to the roof of your mouth, and your palate just like nom, 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 I could taste yeah. the story. Uh, so in that spirit, what's a food that tells the story of your ancestors? You can answer that at we the big we. Um, definitely would share. We'll share a few of mine on, on online Ooh. as well. Um, and remind because it does remind me of the People's Kitchen Collective uh, who who do mm. this as part of their. Mm-hmm. Um, they identify as like the intersection of art and activism and political yep. education and storytelling through uh, through the culinary arts. Uh, so another part of our culture is, is that ritual of food. Uh, and and I think of one of my favorite world building story. Uh, story writing exercises was actually with um, someone, I think I talked about this before, about uh, going through the process of uh, world building around food, around recipe. Uh, Jamie Goh, who's uh, an amazing Mm. um, uh, writer and um, author, uh, storyteller, and yeah, yeah, wrote some of my my favorite uh, Afrofuturism tales uh, as well, so. You know this book, Kwame, Chef Kwame's book, made me think about Bryant Terry. Bryant Terry, yes, of course, yeah. Bryant is another um, chef in the Bay Area who has a couple books, um, 
And like in um, Brian's books, um, Chef Kwame put recipes from his family at the end of every chapter, which is really, really, really awesome. If y'all don't know Brian Terry, y'all should look him up because he's awesome too. Yeah, yeah, made Afro veganism a a, a thing. Yes, <laughs> well, he didn't he make it a, a thing; it existed. But, but he has a book a, called Afro yeah, Vegan. Yeah, and it's good. Those recipes are good. It is good. I've had yes. it. I straight from someone who is a, a vegetarian in <laughs> Oakland, who's very picky because you can be picky about those things out here. Mm-hmm. The recipes and food is delicious. I mean, I, I mean. Yeah, shout out to all of our culinary artists who are doing it for the culture and right. telling the stories of our future and our past, which also brings us to um, we, we got we got to move on to our next segment. Speaking of. Uh, <laughs> I'm not ready. <laughs> Things in the past that we might, ah! might need to revisit. <laughs> I can't let go. I can't let go. OK. All right. Let's do it. OK, let's go. Right. Yo, so what was up to quote to, to paraphrase <laughs> to paraphrase Killmonger in Black Panther? Uh. Is this your finale? <laughs> <laughs> okay, now what you're not gonna do is come in here and bad mouth <laughs> after the whole season. You've been talking about how I don't watch Game of Thrones. I don't, I don't. You, know, you don't get to come in here. And badmouth the finale, Calvin. I'm definitely gonna say I'm glad I wasn't emotionally make... invested. Wow. Okay. Let me. Okay. Hold I'm on. sorry. Right. I'm sorry. I'm, I will not yuck yums. I will not well, yuck you know yums. What? Well, let me say. I'm this. just saying I understand why a million people, almost a million people, signed that uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the petition to redo I season eight. I understand y'all. I see to... you all. You're synced. I'm going to disagree. Please do. No. Okay. First of all. Oh, you know, the thing is, I've been through this before. That's why I have a different perspective, because I was a, de- a-, a avid, diehard Lost fan. <gasps> okay. Mm. Lost was my jammy jam of life. The first and show we that I would through... ever binge watch was Lost. And we, and we went through this then when they had yes. the season finale. And the whole entire country was in an uproar about the finale. Now, did I like the finale? I loved every second of it. I actually boohoo cried on the finale of Lost. Okay, true story. Judge me if you want to. <laughs> I don't care. And I'm gonna say about this about last night. Like there was no way. I don't see any way that people could have been like that was yes. Like there, I don't see. I don't see any other way. Like there needed to be closure. There needed to be closure, and we got our closure, guys. First of all, Daenerys had to die. She had to die. If, I want to give a shout out to all my Denzelists out there, all the folks who wish to listen to Denzel Washington is the greatest actor of all time ever podcast. We know that there's a rule of Denzel is when a character has been compromised. Hmm. When they have been compromised with their values and their morals, they have to die. So she had to die. And you know what? John had to be the one to do it because in the very first episode of Game of Thrones, all of the Stark boys were with their dad, and he had to go, and he had to carry out an execution. And they were like, why did you do that? Why didn't you have somebody else do it? And he said, if you are strong enough to give the sentence, you have to be strong enough to do it. And so John knew that, he, that she had to die, so he had to be the one to do it. I feel great about that. I feel great about that part of the episode. Let me tell you what I don't feel good about. <laughs> why is Bran the king? 
No! I do not want him to be king. No. No. Brandon, you know what? You know why I don't want him to be king? Because when <laughs> when, when he asked him, or, will you be king? He said, well, why do you think I came all this way? Why do you got to be so Oh, you're good? saying he was, he did say that. He said that. Well, that was lightweight, like saying. Way. And then he had. I was born for this. And I'm like, did you Shane. know this the whole time? Did you did you know this since you became the third eye raven that you were going to end up on the throne? Because if you did, I'm going to punch you in your face right now. Brandon. But he'll see it coming. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> <laughs> and that's why I don't like you. <laughs> I, here's the thing. As someone who casually watched. Yes. Yeah. Some of the things that I saw wasn't a surprise for me. That's what, part of the reason why I'm surprised by the surprise. So similarly, like, right. yeah, of course, right. Jon Snow had to be the one exactly. to take out Daenerys because that be. was set up from the moment that the Queen's Justice episode where they were going up, back and forth with each other. I was like, I was know. set up from the first episode of the entire show. See, and. and first episode of the entire show said that he had to be the one. The first episode. This brings me back to the whole thing of I don't I'm not a fan of the show. I'm a fan of the fandom. And it's not that I dislike the show. I'm not a fan because I dislike it. I just you just don't watch it. Yeah, I don't watch it in that way. I wasn't emotionally invested in that way. Uh, I'm like that with fantasy in that. like. But I get it because it's such an immersive storytelling experience. It's a whole world. It's a whole world that's built. and, and, And so I definitely get it and understand. And I think because I see other fandoms and other worlds that play out those things, there's certain patterns that emerge. Like, you know, when someone is about to turn heel, like there was a certain phrase that was being said and like uh, the way that that conversation was going is like, ooh, they're setting people up for the for the disappointment. (laughs) This will not save you. I mean, did did people think that Jon Snow was going to end up in like as the king? Is that what people thought? I think some. I think people thought Daenerys would actually end up on the throne and should be and would have been great. And I'm like, were you mm, all not listening to the speeches? That. I no. mean, again, I would like to point out that this is not the first time that Daenerys acted like a crazy person. She does stuff all the time. She does stuff all the time. And even though, like, she just here's a lesson: just because someone tells you that they're about freedom and breaking chains doesn't mean that they're not still a tyrant. Listen. Because Daenerys Targaryen has been a tyrant ever since she figured out who she was. Like, she's a perfect example of, like, power, empowerment gone too far, is what I would say. She's been tripping, y'all. She's been tripping. This is not a surprise. Why y'all acting like this? That scene where the conversation between Jon Snow and Tyrion, it was like the going over, yes, okay, getting rid of these particularly evil men who were yep. in power that yep. were doing so what happens like who 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 decide I kept coming back to this question um and, and it's inspired by um deep democracy which we'll, we'll share on we the big we <laughs> uh it's a question about what does it mean to be in um in, in whole governance who decides on who decides so who decides what is yep. evil in this context? Is it because yep. my allegiance is to this person, and if someone wrongs this person, therefore it is it is evil? Like and and seeing like the mental gymnastics and going for the loop and this that. There. I know there's so many interpretations about the characters and the archetypes and the storylines, but I think what boiled down to for me the compelling 
parts of this this last episode was around that central question about who has the power to decide, who has the power to tell the story, to craft a narrative, yes. to um, to decide the terms by which people will be in relationship with each other. That is what happened in that power relations in in in. The opening scene to the closing one um, and when people yes. were off in their own adventures and how Bran arrived at the throne. It was just like, wow, this was a display of structural institutional power that, that mm-hmm. happened in a very interesting way to the point where they had to make a very – like it was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a little bit of a weak quip, but <laughs> – the question about, well, what if everyone has a vote? And then the music kind of picked up and everyone just laughs at them. Like, yeah, right. There was two things that I picked up. One was that little like that little jab at democracy, like, right. pshaw, why would we why would we let the people decide? And then the other part when when um when the uncle stood up and he was like, Oh, they are, of course you know, like, of course I will take on the mantle. I will be I will be the king. And everyone was like Bruh, have a seat, sir. <laughs> sit have down seat. and not on the throne. In fact, sit down on the melted throne. <laughs> right? Have a seat. Have a seat. I-, I will say there are two other things I need to say. Mm-hmm. One thing that I um, one thing that I did not love, and the other thing that I su- loved as a big surprise. And the thing that I did not love was um, after Daenerys was killed and her interaction with the dragon and how he picked her up and flew away, that got on my nerves, number one. I'm like, why are you picking her up like that? That got on my nerves. I don't know why, but it did. I feel it. But let me tell you what I loved, what felt made me feel so in my feelings is the scene where Tyrion was standing over Jamie and Cersei's body in the rubble. I wasn't supposed to be touched by that because I was supposed to not be mad at Cersei for the rest of her life. But I was so overwhelmed by that scene, just watching them lay in the dust like that. It was so beautiful, and I felt so sad. R.I.P. Cersei and Jamie. <laughs> You're giving them R.I.P. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, that scene at the end, because we didn't talk about this in the last episode, and I, and I was mad about it. That scene where they had um, <clears throat> Sir Brienne writing in the in the, um, the, the journal. The, the Wikipedia what entry. The, <laughs> <laughs> what had happened she, was a story of what's the one. <laughs> now, what you don't know, Calvin, because you don't Because I don't show, watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that Jamie, for two or three seasons, maybe four, Jamie and Brienne have had this like little flirtation back and forth. And a couple episodes ago, they consummated their flirt. And then Jamie left and was like, I told you I wasn't nothing to begin with. Why did you even do this? I'm going back to my sister slash lover slash mother of my children. And that's how we ended up with her. And so, like, there's this whole thing about <laughs> about women who choose wrong because she had two choices. She had Jamie and she had Tormon. And she chose she chose wrong. And he left, died in the arms of his sister lover, wife, baby mama, and she Ooh, still had to be the one to take care of him. She still had to go back and be the one to honor him in that journal and make sure that history recorded who he was, all the, the good and honorable things about her, about him, and then she had to just kind of take on that pain. And I'm like, oh, who, who's going to write the essay about Brienne and the representation of the emotional lifting mm. that women have to do for men sometimes? Who's going to write that essay? 
it's not gonna be me. But somebody I'm sitting needs to with write that. that. Yeah, you should because it was a, it's a thing that like that that Brienne and Jamie thing that like a lot of my women friends who watch Game of Thrones, you know, I watch with a group of women. Mm -hmm. Shout mm -hmm. out to my girls. I'm sorry I didn't get to watch with you last night because um, I was in Aspen in the snowstorm. But like a lot of women who watch Game of Thrones had that conversation after that episode, and I'm wondering where they're sitting now after having to watch Brienne be the person to honor Jamie in the way that she had to last night with her Wikipedia entry. Mm -hmm. mm. Ladies, let me know how you feel about that. Tweet us that with the, we, we the big we if you have an opinion. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. So it's over. Yeah. Game of Thrones is over. Although they are already talking about spinoffs. Oh, yeah. Uh, one that I was curious about was um, everyone had this, I, I think, I think a lot of people who listen to this show, a lot of mm -hmm. our circles of friends, probably had the same feeling when they saw Arya Stark going west. <laughs> Tracy Corder, I'm giving you all the credit, uh, uh, who, who does this amazing podcast. That's what she said. She, she had me rolling with this, with this joke. She said, she's out here becoming Christina Columbus. <laughs> I was like, yo. May you discover Greenland and Iceland and just listen. land there. I, wh where is she going? What is she doing? What was that I, smile about? I don't know if I want to see those adventures. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Unless, I, unless connecting story worlds, she makes her way to oh somehow my, magically to New York, becomes <laughs> an underground freedom fighter to build the House of Stark, which begets. Right. Which and her grandson is Tony Stark. <laughs> <laughs> And that's where they got their wealth. From Westeros. <laughs> the house is stark. It's all connected. <laughs> so just, just as a curiosity, because Game of Thrones caught the, the cultural zeitgeist in a way that very few shows have. And when they had, this is where the emotional investment about every episode, tweeting about it, posting about it, memeing about it, talking about it, applying it to the political realities of the day. There, there, there's few shows that capture all of those energies. It, this is coming from someone who's a casual viewer who would be <laughs> able to watch. And like, I've seen entire episodes just sitting at the barbershop by wow. sitting, you know, in, in other just like chilling at a restaurant or yeah. uh, casually because somebody's watching at their house. It, it's just it's that casually and just out in, in, in the ether that it's like mm -hmm. that. And I'm curious about why did the Game of Thrones captivate us? Why did it captivate you all who are, who are be it casual or diehard fans? Uh, and, and I guess what's the message that we're leaving with that is kind of like the lasting impression and footprint of, of the totality of the show, the journey of the show itself? Mm -hmm. So this is a question about the fandom, right? So, mm -hmm. so why did it captivate us and what are we left with? I want to start with you as one of the biggest fans that I know in real life. <laughs> That's a, such a good question. I hadn't thought about it like that. I mean, the re if I think about why I liked the show mm -hmm. initially, um, it was just because it was so um, exciting. And it was like a new story. And the like, if you watch the whole first season, the rules that they broke, right? Like, shout out to episode nine. 
the story that they were telling and the grandeur of the storytelling was what got me. Hmm. It's like, I'm a sucker for a period piece, number one. You give me some costumes and some wigs, I am in. <laughs> Family. <laughs> so there's that part of it, right? Family extravaganza, yeah. Listen. Fantasy, fantasy extravaganza. And, um, but what I think, what I think kept me going was the way that the story was so complex and there were so many branches and so many things to follow. And it was all about power. And it was always a, a dance about who was going to be on top. And you never knew what the answer was going to be. There was always a surprise around every corner. There's always a shock. There's always something that you'll be like, I did not see that coming. This the hmm. level of um, storytelling was just so great. And then the characters, like you, they're characters that were really um, complex. You know, they're characters that were dealing with any range of things. If you think of Jon Snow alone and the, the journey that his character went on, um, it, it's just so, 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 so compelling. Um, if I think about the whole entire arc, I mean, it just really comes down to power. Mm-hmm. That's the, the conversation mm-hmm. that is for me about power. And what is power? Who has power? Like we said, who gets to choose? Who has power? Um, and then what happens when you get in power? Like how how do we how do you govern? And that's a big conversation that we've had, you know, amongst our friends. Is like if you are looking across um, at other folks and, and making um, judgments about how they govern, and you work to be able to get what you think looks like power, and you become the one that has to govern. Like then how do you keep yourself? Um, in alignment with their values and not be the person that abuses their power? How do you not become the thing that you abhor, that you work against, that you fight against? But when you're talking about power in the, in the like, um, classic American way, like you're talking about control, you're talking about money, you're talking about that, it is difficult to not be um, taken in by that. Hmm. That's why, you know what I mean? Like power... That's the the problem with power is that it's not it's a, it's the framing of how we define power is just totally off to begin with. So when you even when you get there, it's hard to do it in a different way because you're still in that same infrastructure about what traditional status quo money based power looks like, and how how do we how do we be benevolent? Like how what would it ha- what would have had to happen for Daenerys to stop when the bell rang? Hmm. What would it have taken for her to stop when the bell rang? But if you remember, her closest friends and advisors were all gone. She didn't trust Tyrion. Jorah had been killed in the in the Battle of Winterfell. And her number one homegirl of life was beheaded on the wall in front of her face. Yeah. So all the people that were to kept her in check and kept her stable and kept her balanced were not there to be like, girl, no. That's not, that's not what you need to do. And when she was left to her own devices, she, she, she got corrupted by her power, and that to me, is the is the is what I'm left with. Is like, what is what is power? What does it mean to have power? And what is the responsibility that comes with power? And what does it mean to be free? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the show, Jon Snow got sent to Castle Black, but he left and he went to go be with the free folk. And I want to know, like. What is, it, what is real freedom when you're talking about power and you're in a game that big? Is, is power the power to walk and go be free? What does that look like? Those are powerful reflections from a true fan. <laughs> a true fan. 
Um, you, you know, one of the things I've been um, hearing about, uh, and, and this really perked my ears, is someone who um, is a co-founder of Wakanda Dream Lab. And one of the elements that we do in, in our collective is actually have a fan fiction anthology series yeah. of uh, various prompts to expand on the world that was that that people are immersing themselves in. In this case, uh, for Black Panther, uh, for Wakanda Dream Lab, it's the world of Wakanda. And we were asking various questions, particularly around in the first uh, fan fiction anthology series, uh, what would it look like to have black freedom beyond borders? People from the mm-hmm. diaspora being able to come home and being welcomed back home. What would be the stories of the characters, the journeys, the storylines that would emerge? Um, so we had that that call to about a dozen uh, authors, writers, poets, songwriters, etc., uh, con- contribute their their work, and that was the first series. We're having a second series on um, on on gender uh, justice, gender journeys, gender identities, um, and, mm. and that's uh, anticipated to come out in the fall. Uh, and I, I noticed this coming up here and there with Game of Thrones, where particularly among um, <laughs> the hashtag Dem Thrones. Um, My I've been following, right? I follow that. In the history, of I follow life. that. Um, so, folks who are in that, you know, the the, the Black Twitter space and uh, you know the for the culture space, uh, who are also Game of Thrones fans, um, and, and also hashtag Dragons in the back. <laughs> if you follow those, you know that there is th- that. That's where my favorite uh, quips, memes, and critiques are coming from, mm-hmm. and also the call mm-hmm. for what if we wrote our own? What if we do a fanfic and 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 a, a, a fan anthology based on the stories of the peoples that we got to write ourselves into the story as Octavia Butler uh, inspires us to do? Right. So, I, I wonder if we're going to write an alternate ending. Or an alternate mm. season, or even like a parallel storyline of when. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, right. in this side meanwhile, of Westeros, right. what what's going on, <laughs> right? So, meanwhile, on the south side of Westeros. Oh, stop! <laughs> Shout out to Charlene Carruthers who. Um, when, when the question was asked, what's west of Westero? She was like, black folk. <laughs> let, let me get the quote right. Because uh, I saw that on our, on our uh, at We the Big We on our feed. She said, black people, Aria, black people are west of Westeros. <laughs> west of Westeros. Oh. West of Westeros, yep. Yo. Yep. And then people started getting into it. It was like, no, we're actually on the south side, on the south east side, south central side. I was like, yeah, we can... Uh, can't take us nowhere. <laughs> so it would be funny, to like, because it reminded me of that uh, Key and Peele sketch about the uh, the inner city wizard school based on uh, <laughs> the My Harry Potter. My favorite <laughs> Key and Peele sketch of all times is that yeah. one. I love it. Yo, so if you have your own alternate uh, endings or just exploration of characters, if they were in other worlds... Um, or other places within within this world that was built, send it to us. Why not? Let's tell the story. Let's tear all our story in this world that is being um, explored. Hmm. Ask the big we at gmail.com. You could send it hmm. to us or you could post it at at the uh, big we uh, at we the big we on Twitter. Um, and, and yeah, hashtag dragons in the back. <laughs> you know what? I want to know what happened to that. I want to know what where I want to know the next story for the unsullied. Hmm. I want to know where where they're going to go. And what they're gonna do? That's there's two stories I wanted to hear. Like, cause I know that everyone's like spinoff, 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 and they totally set it up for 100 spinoffs. But the two things I want to know 
is where's Grey Worm and his folks going and what's going to happen with John? Hmm. That's what I want to know. I don't really care what happens with Arya or Sansa, frankly. Is that bad? <laughs> I don't care. Super I have a question. What, what, Sansa. Give, speaking what? of finales and what happens next, what what are we doing next? L- we're going this to is, Ghana. Yo, that's the plan. I manifest. Let's go. We're going to Ghana. That is our intention. That is our I mean, Nia. Is to make it to Ghana. We the whole season talking about the year of return, Calvin. If we don't have our own return, then what are we doing here? So are we saying season two in Ghana? I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, y'all, everyone stay tuned because that's what we're working on. <laughs> uh, you can definitely, we'll give you updates. You, you'll get a little snippets and tidbits. And I, I mean, we got, we got, we got the recording equipment at home, so we may as well record a few things in between this season and next. So check we that should. out. I mean, we really could and we really should because you got to keep them updated about what's going to happen season yeah, two. Yeah, because so much is happening in our lives right now. So much personally, spiritually, spiritually, yes, grammatically. I don't know all, all the levels, all the levels. Gramma- so <laughs> nothing happening with me grammatically, Calvin. Nothing at all. Well, Calvin, split another <laughs> infinitive. <laughs> Stay tuned to finally see if he learned how to not split infinitives. See what I just did there. Shout I, out to I Mama Wo. So I, I saw it. That, that was actually a shout out to uh, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite English teachers who recently passed, um, lived a beautiful long life, uh, Mrs. Womack, uh, who inspired actually one of the last poems I wrote. Her her fine tuning and revisioning um, editorial skills are in, in the back of my head. The next day, I actually found out that um, she she had passed. So uh, a shout out to the, the to the mentors and the loved ones who inspire us along the way. Mama Wo, that one was for you. Um, so. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, hey, we we got to give shout outs to to this final episode um and and for this entire season. Yes. Shout out to everyone who was listening yes, uh because thank you, you for listening. The journey that we went on together. <laughs> yeah, and thank you for your feedback cuz yes. it really helped. You know, that we we have been on a journey and we have like been experimenting and kind of feeling our way around this and to like feel what feels good and feels fun and feels important and to be able to have you with us the whole way to tell us, "Yes, this is good." No, don't do that. Don't do that. But do this. Do this. That was so, so fun to be able to do that with you. Very helpful. So fun. And you can continue to provide feedback, reflections, questions, comments, share your favorite memes, or answer any of the questions that we ask throughout any point of the season. Uh, We'll be at WeTheBigWe on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, and you can also find us on our website, wethebigwe.com, and also wherever you find your podcast, be it on Apple Podcasts and Google Play, where you can also leave a review. We also got to give a shout out to our amazing producers. Like being able to be on this side of <laughs> the microphone, there's so many hands that allow us to, to be in this side it, it, mm-hmm. it, in an easeful way. Um, so I really just want to give a huge shout out to our executive producers on, on the Move and Strategy team, uh, to Julie Kiros. Uh, we appreciate you, Julie, for supporting this idea and allowing us to run with it. Uh, to Wiam Gadban. I, I mean, seriously, Wiam. My favorite. You, 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 you give us graphic notation scripts. You've created <laughs> um, fun toolkits and guides and memes. All those cartoons, all those cartoons of us that you see, the comics that you see of us, the stories that get generated, the, the all of that. We am. Thank you. You've been awesome. You, I, We saw you grow into the, um, not only mm-hmm. to the producer and director position, but so much beyond. And, and you, you made me doing able to do what I do like better and easier mm. um, and, and I hope it, it, it does right by the vision that we co-created together so very much uh, appreciate you and the work you've done um, 
to uh, the wonderful Larry Robinson Sr. and Jr. and uh, Reggie Fine uh, over at Kazukian Network. Thank you for taking us on, taking care of all of our audio needs. You, you all have been awesome. You've, you've helped us refine our audio issues and all of that. So uh, thank you for your patience, your, your, your uh, support with that. And also to... Um, uh, Pasita Rudder, who gave us the soundtrack for our, our for our theme music and for the, the show. Uh, you can listen to Pasita's music at P-A-C-I-T-A-R-U-D-D-E-R on SoundCloud. Uh, and then thank you all, uh, beautiful listeners, amazing listeners, so much fun. Um, the saga continues. I ain't going west of anywhere. <laughs> My throne has not been melted. I'm not going back in time except to the future. Um, and so, uh, and, and I want to do that together because, you know, big laughs, big joy, big smiles, big we. Oh, I forgot to thank somebody. Who? My favorite co-host of all time. <laughs> Anasa. I, I couldn't imagine doing this with anybody else. No, like, seriously, it, this is my favorite hour of every week talking oh, to you, Calvin. Like and I'm that. always like, oh, I can't wait to tell Calvin. <laughs> that's, that's like my thing now. I'm like, oh, I got to write this and I got to tell Calvin about this thing. That was so good. He's going to like that. It's so funny. Yes, you're part of my life. I love you. Love you back. Love you back. Who, who would have thought this is where we'd end up when we first met Listen. at the, the, what was it, the, the culture shift room at U.S. Social Forum in Detroit? I guess so. Hey, it yeah. might have been before that. <laughs> but, yo, this has been great. It has been great. I'm looking forward to season two. I'm excited to see what we, what we do next, yeah. what adventures we create. And you know what? I, I hope that folks, that y'all send, keep sending us stuff. We, we love you know obviously we love books and movies and music and if there's stuff that comes out and you want us to hear it let us know yeah because we want to we want to keep we want to keep listening and who knows maybe we can send something out every you know maybe a periodical i'm not going to say every week but it might be something that we can send out periodically to uh do a little digest of you know what's out there for the culture and uh what's mm-hmm. given us life in this year of the mm-hmm. return so meet us on twitter yeah be on the lookout for yes. that all right y'all we're over time <laughs> this Hell is surprise. Right. <laughs> Anasa, I yeah. appreciate you. I appreciate you too, Calvin. All right, y'all. This has been the big we on the Kazuki Network. Season. See you next season. <laughs> <laughs>